five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing on this Tuesday morning? Hopefully you're doing better than Jeff Banks. I'm doing great. My uh, pet monkey has bitten no one. Good. Well, so you know what? Keeping that. There you go. That's all you got to do is just keep it under wraps. Um, what a wild story. And, and, and look, you're going to hear so many different takes on this monkey biting kid on Halloween, you know, stripper, pole assassin, uh, just uh, when it first broke, um, or somebody shared it, which I guess it went a couple of hours where the traction on the guy who tweeted the story was very minimal for a couple of hours. And then the right people started getting a hold of it and sharing it. So I didn't notice it until a couple of hours in and, and I shared it. And then at that point in time, you know, pole assassin had not responded, uh, to the accusations. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of information. And I just, I didn't feel comfortable Was a former Alabama assistant coach. And, you know, at that point, and, you know, I, I didn't know that there was a history. You know, the people were talk, saying that, you know, Jeff Banks left his, his wife and kids for a stripper named Pole Assassin. Uh, and, you know, that was on the Jerry Springer show. And I was just like, man, I have, I, I'd never, now apparently that was a pretty common knowledge thing to a lot of people. I, I wouldn't say it was common knowledge. Uh, you know, I was aware of, of I, I knew that when Jeff uh, was here at Alabama and I was aware of her, I met her uh, uh, and I, I was aware of it. Uh, and I even knew of the monkey that it was in Tuscaloosa. I mean, that, that she was uh, Jeff's girlfriend in Tuscaloosa and she had the monkey then. Uh, I, I guess it wasn't common knowledge and why I ever tweet or post about that ever. But boy, now the, uh, I was about to say the cat's out of the bag, but the monkey's out of the bag. <laughs> I mean, and so, you know, I shared this stuff originally and, and I, I did make it very clear. I had no clue if it was true or not, you know, whatever. But I, the, the more I sat with it for some odd reason, I was like, man, this is a former Alabama assistant. I have no idea if this is, is true. This is quite the, the damning story that's coming out here. Um, and, and so I deleted the tweets, you know, out of respect. And, and I even said, I'll let you guys run with the, with the monkey rumors, uh, let y'all handle it. And then about the time I sent that tweet out, uh, pole assassin herself responded and confirmed said rumors about the monkey multiple times. Yes. Oh, I mean, she kept going, but that, as soon as I saw that first one and she was saying that it was the kid's fault, she's like, the kid went in an area he wasn't supposed to be at, but now I knew said kid had gotten bit by her monkey um now a hey, confirm baby i don't care how wild it is at this point we can run with it so i had a blast you know everybody everybody on uh, twitter did i mean it was all over everywhere um my top 10 favorite tweets of the night was when she tweeted the long defense of of the monkey biting the kid and someone responded <laughs> to it and said ma'am your lawyer is drenched in sweat right now <laughs> i know exactly what comment you're talking about and as a lawyer what, what's going through your mind through this whole thing it's got to be something along the lines of get her ass off twitter right now that would have been the number one thing whether you are her lawyer the university of texas's lawyers jeff bank's lawyer or more particularly uh it all harkens back to do you um know you remember you were on the call when jordan battle was doing the zoom thing and he was asked about Saban's D's nuts jokes yep. and give us an example of one of his D's note nuts jokes and Jordan battle 
said at the, at the Zoom thing, oh, he says, like, suck these nuts. And you <laughs> Josh Maxson in the background, the Alabama's SID, you hear Josh in the background going, no, <laughs> like, you can't say that, Jordan. And uh, when, when the pole assassin was tweeting last night, I just kept hearing Josh Maxson's voice in the background, no, yep. like, do not tweet, get off of Twitter. And yes, all of her social media accounts are currently off <laughs> and, and uh adds to the really that she's been removed and yeah i'm sure she got i'm sure jeff banks got a call from uh lawyers or from the sid office saying please remove your girlfriend immediately from all social media accounts someone this- at texas said look you have you have three choices here jeff she can get rid of her social media account you can get rid of her and her social media account, or we can get rid of you and her and her social media account. Those are your three choices. And, you know, at that point, um, Jeff probably was like, you know what? I feel like social um, is the is the best way to go about this. Let's just get rid of that. I mean, she was posting videos. Of- she posted showing how they'd kept the monkey safe from trick-or-treaters, but I thought, well, Let's just hope that the kid isn't actually injured and there's not lawsuits or criminal charges, because if there are, that video is going to be front and center. That will be the centerpiece of the trial, which is exactly why lawyers would want her not commenting about well, anything. She handed that here's evidence. The thing, first of all, she kept reiterating, no parent has come forward. Yeah. Okay. Then, then, you know, now if you're, if you're, if your kid was at that haunted house, which was in their backyard, you're not asking your kid, Hey, did you get bit by a monkey? Okay. No, we, got, we might have a potential lawsuit on our hands against a, uh, a, a guy who makes a million dollars a year. Millionaires, uh, not yeah. the pole monkey to them. It's the millionaire, the millionaire's monkey bit you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, I, she made it worse by, you know, even it, she should have said, you know, we, I, I don't know. She shouldn't have said anything to be quite honest, but I mean, and then I, I just think the whole thing seems a little strange. I mean, this, uh, and we talked about this off air, the, uh, the whole, um, the sign was a little too perfect for me. If, if, right. because she kept reiterating it takes, you know, first of all, kids weren't allowed back there. Second of all, she talked about how long it takes to get from where you weren't supposed to be or from where you were supposed to be to where you weren't supposed to be. And so, okay, I get having this generic do not enter sign on it uh on the gate before you get in but she had it too perfect you know it said do not enter it said that you know it was a what do you call it um not a medical um you know it was i forget what they call it but essentially she's supposed to have it for medical reasons uh coping um emotional support monkey in one of her tweets last night emotional support that's what it is emotional support animals And, and it says, do not touch the cage. You know, she made sure that all of her bases were covered with his son. But it's like you even said yourself, if you didn't expect kids to be back there whatsoever, and it was such a long way to get to the animals, why in the world, you know, did you feel like that was even necessary? And if you were just covering your back, I just, I, I'm not buying it. I think she put the sign up after the fact because now she could say, hey, he was warned. Um, can't sue me. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'll probably get a phone call from, from, pole assassins attorney my, myself saying hey you're out here smearing her good name and and there's gonna be a trial here and, and you're affecting the outcome with your accusations uh i, I don't know how lawyers work pain of the jury pool clint will you represent me jimmy 
I'm 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 full time on three sports analyst now. I'm sorry. I I I, uh, I don't even watch Matlock anymore. I'll, I'll tell you what. If you thought you had a winning case with me, you'd agree to take it. But that tells me everything I need to know. If there's a money making case. Uh, we can talk. I'm not helping Jeff Banks or Pole Assassin, but if you have been bitten by a monkey, if your kid was bitten by a monkey while trick-or-treating, call my old office. The message will get back to me, I promise. (laughs) That's incredible. What a great story. We've spent almost 10 minutes talking about this, and uh, we're going to have to fly through these mailbag questions today, but it was too good not to. Everybody's going to be talking about it. You're going to get everybody's opinion. I don't care what college football show. I don't care if you watch ESPN. I don't care if you listen you know, you can you can hop on the the, the Bam on three show. You can go listen to something regarding the USC Trojans. I can almost guarantee you anybody that's talking today is mentioning either they might make some small reference or they might dive into the weeds a little bit like we did. I don't know. Famous college football people last night were talking about it, making jokes about it. Even several guys at the SEC at SEC Network, Peter Burns. Uh, had a couple of great tweets and and some of the national reporters, forty. You know, uh, you know those guys, the national famous college football writers they all had their jokes last night uh but yeah that that the the, the jokes were awesome and it uh, was half joke half good observation like hunter i think it was hunter johnson last night that said uh the monkey the monkey biting this kid today was the best thing that's ever happened to dan mullen <laughs> yeah i mean just it got him off the front page real it quick. really did uh i mean he needs to be you know mullen if something happens with jeff banks at, at texas and dan mullen needs to give him a call and say i got you a job big fella i got you covered uh appreciate you jumping on that grenade send a bag of peanuts to that monkey yeah <laughs> oh my <laughs> it's just i mean it, it and someone else pointed out on twitter and i don't know who it was i wish i could give credit but someone said uh you know the 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 pole assassin monkey combination would have been a super popular costume for Halloween. Uh, yeah, yeah. Too late. Just the the day after, man. Just just a hair too late. People won't remember next year. It'll be a whole year away, and uh, yeah, that would be a great costume. The uh, pole assassin costume uh, with the uh, pet monkey on the shoulder would have been a very popular thing. Although probably you know not everybody's gonna. I don't think that's a good costume for me and you. No, but others no. get off. Yeah, no, uh, no, no. I wouldn't. I, if I was anybody in that, I would. I would have to be pole assassin. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to make people pay for, for me choosing that costume. Um, <laughs> and I'm really going to get into that pole thing too. I don't even know how to do it, but I'd figure it out. I, I, you know what? I normally don't commit to Halloween costumes. That's my brother's thing. He goes all out. I got a bunch of friends. We do theme parties every year. Um, I'm the person that waits to the last second and throws something together. Um, you know, I was Zach Brown. One time we did musicians and the day of, I hadn't done anything. And I'm like, I'm just going to get a toboggan and, and be Zach Brown. Um, oh, wait, you're yeah. up to share. Now there's a picture to share on, on three. So I look forward to the picture. Yeah. I mean, it's wasn't that it's just me in kind of almost normal attire, just wearing a toboggan. You what sang the anthem the other night at uh game three at the Braves. I think it was game three at the Braves, uh, in the world series. He sang the, uh, national anthem. Yep. And we got. Uh, game five tonight, correct? No. Game six. Game six. Game six. Yep. And then game seven tomorrow night, if there needs to be a game seven, hopefully the Braves are Yeah. Hopefully it's all over tonight, uh, but we'll see. All right. We're going to have to get to these mailbag questions and we're going to have to go a little bit faster. Now, granted, we always end up being super long winded. So we just, we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll go at a normal pace and be fine as far as time is concerned. Self to make a pole assassin monkey reference in every answer. I'm challenging. Okay. Okay, I can respect that. We'll, we'll see what ends up. You know, if, if something hits me, I'll contribute. Uh, I won't try to force it because anytime I try to force something, uh, 
on Twitter, if you if you follow my Twitter, I just say stuff, and half of it, I mean, it's like you, know, you go back and you're like, I don't, I, I don't know why you said that, and others, you know, sometimes it ends up being funny, and sometimes it doesn't, but I just I had a thought that pops in my mind, and I tweeted immediately. I tell jokes all day. I expect half of them are more to bomb, so I'm, I'm good with bombing. It happens every day. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm just saying my thoughts. Whatever pops into my head, you guys get. So you're getting authentic tweets, I guess. All right, Garrett Alley on Twitter, first question, asked, what are the chances we see J.C. Latham and Treshawn Holden start this week? Hmm. Uh, my answer would be uh, almost zero on Latham. Uh, I, I think if we were going to make a change on the offensive line uh, at right tackle, that would have happened several weeks ago. Uh, Chris Owens has now played eight weeks. He's he he continued. I thought that maybe after the A and M loss, there could be a change. There wasn't. Uh, last week, my understanding is during the bye week practices, they just really worked on fundamentals, kind of a return to fall camp. Sort of worked on improving what hadn't been good so far. They didn't really do a lot of changes. They just focused on getting better. Uh, look, the, these eight these offensive linemen they only started working together as a unit the week before the Miami game. They've only been together eight weeks. I think there's been improvement throughout the season. And if they were ever going to make a change, that time has passed. These are the five that Nick Saban and Doug Marone picked to live and die with. I think these are the five barring injury. As far as Treshawn Holden, there's a better chance he starts because I believe he's being introduced into this first team rotation. And what's happened is, uh, Clint can speak about this more intelligently than myself, but what appears to be the case to me uh, is that they have moved John Mechie from an outside receiver to the slot, not exclusively, but Mechie is now in the slot quite a bit. So that's also where Slate Bolden lines up. That's where JoJo Earl lines up. But if you're going with a three receiver set and you line up Mechie in the slot, then you need two outside guys. One of them will be Jamison Williams. And frankly, most of the time, the other outside guy would be Treshawn Holden. So it, Holden, to me, is just part of the first-team rotation now. Whether he's out there on the first snap or not sort of depends on what personnel package you choose to start the game with based on, you know, LSU's alignment, too. So uh, I, uh, I think there's a decent chance you'll see Holden on the first snap uh, because now he is in the first-team rotation. But, no, I think this offensive line is set, and that's that. And here's the thing with the offensive line. Think about it for a second. You spent eight weeks trying to get these guys, guys to work together and gel and become a cohesive unit. And then after the bye week, you end up inserting a true freshman into the starting lineup, and now everything's thrown off again. Now you're down the stretch, you're trying to get things right. And I understand that if you know Chris Owens is still a liability, in my opinion, speaking candidly, I think he's getting better and becoming less of a liability but I still think that he can be a problem at times. But I think Alabama's committed to that right now. And, and it would take something drastic. If he had another performance like he did against Texas A&M um, or, you know, there's just one particular game where he's just getting Bryce killed back there, then I could maybe see them trying to make a change at that point. And then once they've officially made that switch and it's not injury-related and they've, you know, essentially benched Chris Owens, I think at that point we can start talking about opening up a competition, but I, I, you know, there was a part of me that thought that maybe making a change at, at right tackle during the bye week would be something that could happen. And, and then the more I thought about it, an offensive line is all about, you know, working together in unison and, and learning, you know, the, the, what guys do. And if you've been playing, if you're a meal, EQ or junior, and you've been working next to Chris Owens for eight weeks and you're just starting to figure out what he does and what he doesn't when you're combo blocking and doing all that stuff, 
switching to a true freshman in J.C. Latham at this point in the season, I don't think it would be super beneficial for not only, you know, uh, maybe the, the play at right tackle might improve a little bit. Um, I don't know. It might not. Uh, but at the same time, I also think that what you're losing from a communication standpoint and the learning how to work together, that could potentially be uh, a problem. As far as Trayshawn Holden, you, nail, you hit the nail on the head. You know, he's a part of the first team rotation. I consider him essentially a starter now, whether he's out with the starters, you know, on the first snap is kind of irrelevant to me. I think that he's he's trending towards being a guy who's going to be seeing, you know, roughly about 50% of the the snap share. Um, he's going to be seeing some targets on a consistent basis. Uh, I don't know how many targets that's going to be. Obviously, John Mechie's going to be your first guy with, you know, or, or him and Jameson Williams are going to be your first two options. The tight ends, depending on what happens this weekend against LSU, you know, you might start working to get them more involved, and they could be your third and fourth pass catching options. But I think Treshawn Holden has done a great job. I think he's got the right attitude, and I think that's important. Um, and you know, but Slade Bolden does too. Uh, it's just a matter of where do they want John Mechie? Where do they see the matchup with John Mechie? I think he's playing in the slot when they see that the so the, the slot nickel corner is exploitable. And and if if John Mechie is considered your best true receiver, um, then you know. If if the, their most exploitable place is in the slot, then you put him there, and you could put Trayshawn Hold on the outside. If it's you know there's a perimeter corner that's struggling, and you got Jamison Williams putting pressure on one, and you feel like you can put more pressure with with John Mechie, you you put Slade Bolden out there on the slot and let him do his thing. Um, but you know with 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 LSU secondary, they're banged up. You know Elias Ricks, Derek Stingley, neither of those two guys are playing. Cordell Flott, who's been you know he was kind of their nickel guy. I think he's playing some nickel a little bit, but he was also their number three corner on the perimeter. He moved to, to the perimeter once Stingley got hurt, and now he's probably their top guy. He's banged up. Sage Ryan, the five-star freshman, um, you know, he had been starting in the slot, but he's also not going to be playing in this game. So I don't really know what LSU is going to do in the secondary. Uh, I don't know where the – I feel like the matchups are everywhere. I don't think there's any one particular guy that you look at and you target. Maybe there's one guy that you look at and say, well, I would rather not go his way as much, and that would probably be a flot if I had to guess. But there are places all over the field, so I don't know how what their game plan is going to be. But that's kind of how I view it. Um, moving on to the next question, Ron Ashley. I hope I said that last name right. I'm terrible with names. On Twitter, asked, "Do you have any updates about Kamar Wheaton? Could Bama put him in the rotation this season?" Uh, I don't have a medical update uh, so much on his improvement from his injury. I'll just say that Kamar not only hasn't played in any of the games, I don't believe, I don't believe Kamar Wheaton has even dressed up for a game. I don't even think he's been in full pads out there on the sidelines at any game. That to me just indicates he is just absolutely not in the plans. As a matter of fact, when Alabama had their injury situation at running back and, and, and we had that fun week of who's going to be the emergency running back, they got to move somebody to running back. Who's it going to be? They end up moving two guys to running back. They moved inside linebacker Demoy Kennedy to running back, and wide receiver Christian Leary was moved to running back, and they remain at running back. That the fact they moved two guys, Clint, is a clear signal to me that uh, Wheaton is not available. Uh, that they the only running backs, normal running backs available, are Brian Robinson, Roy Dell Williams, and Trey Sanders. That's why they moved two guys. So Kamar is just not in the plans. We won't see him till next spring. And uh, making lemonade out of the lemons, uh, this allows him to mature. I'm sure he's been in the weight room uh, as much as he can. Uh, and I, I, I do think, though, Kamar will go from somebody we didn't see at all to a significant player. Uh, and, and I think we'll see that next spring. But, no, uh, I, I think, based on what little I know, 
I, I believe there is a zero percent chance we see Kamar Wheaton in uh, in twenty twenty one. I, you know what? I, I agree with you. You know, there's there's a part of me that at, you know earlier in the season I thought with the way that the running back position was trending, you know, maybe you know once he returned you'd be able to see him. But and and the fact that we just had the bye week, um, you know, we just watched Alabama have their bye week. That certainly maybe lends itself a little bit more to maybe he's closer to being 100% or getting back on the field, kind of like a Drew Sanders, but nothing about that is definitive. I haven't heard, heard really an update. And with the way things are going now, it's, uh, you know, it's Brian Robinson as, as your number one running back and kind of can be, you know, it's proven to be a workhorse guy. You got uh, Roy Dell Williams, who you, who you can give carries to and trust. Um, you know, Trey Sanders is a guy who's come on a little bit. Um, you know, I think that they're still trying to get him back to being a, a hundred percent healthy and they would prefer not to give him any sort of significant workload in the foreseeable or near future. But if something happened to one of those other two guys, I think he would step up as the number two. Um, and then you would have to start talking about Kamar Wheaton being maybe involved, but as long as those, those three guys are healthy, I don't think you're going to see much, you know, uh, of Kamar Wheaton at all. And, and then it becomes about 2022. Um, then I don't know how much. You know, you got, um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of running backs returning. You're going to have Jace McClellan coming back. Um, you know, you got Henderson, who's going to be coming in in this recruiting class, this upcoming uh, recruiting class. And so, uh, and I, th- I still think that Wheaton could certainly end up being a huge part of Alabama's rotation at some point and being a very important part of that rotation. I just don't know when that's going to be or, or how that's going to be. Um, so, We'll see. It was a good question because a lot of people do. Have, I mean, he's a five-star running back. He's a guy. So, I mean, you start worrying about depth at the position. Obviously, having you know that kind of talent, you know, be able to bolster your depth and be your number four guy. That's pretty important. Um, and so, just getting him back healthy and having him available in the event of an injury to one of these other three guys, that's certainly going to be huge. I just don't know what that update is going to be. Right. And guys, watch the New Mexico State sidelines as much as you enjoy it. If Kamar Wheaton is not even dressed for New Mexico State in two weeks, then there's just not a Kamar Wheaton on this roster in 2021. I mean, they'll, they'll play everybody that they can against New Mexico State and everybody who's anybody, any walk-ons assistant who gets to practice on Thursdays uh, will be dressed out for New Mexico State. Uh, if you don't see 25, I think Kamar is number 25, if you don't see 25 dressed out in full pads, just standing on the sidelines, uh, Kamar is just basically not even on the roster this this fall. Yeah, and that's a good way to, to, to put it. Um, next question. Will Anderson for Heisman on Twitter asked, hey, guys, this is more of an offensive question, but what sort of scheme changes or wrinkles would you expect after the bye week? Uh, we're going to see the pole assassins monkey out there, wide receiver. Uh, he's fast. He's He's going to be at LSU's practice today going through drills, so he should be prepared. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, what kind of changes are we going to see for this week? See, I, I don't think there will be any any over-the-top changes. I think any changes you see will be subtle. I, I, I really believe in terms of what they're working on is just flat-out improvement across the board. Uh, see, I, I don't think Nick Saban looks as anything that we're doing as broke as he looks at needs improving, needs a tune-up. Uh, I, I don't think there will be scheme changes. I don't think there's going to be personnel changes. Uh, I think there could be slight changes because the bye week's a great time to do a lot of self-scouting. You know, what kind of tendencies do we have? What kind of things are we 
overshowing? What are we doing too much of that's not working? Uh, but but I, I don't think there will be any changes that, that we see from the stands or from the press box. Uh, I think the changes will be subtle. And hey, uh, for as much of the gnashing of teeth and, and the wailing and complaining, Alabama is second in the nation in scoring points. So any complaints about the offense, I mean, I realize there's things we can improve. We're working on to improve, but we're second in the nation in scoring points. So the offense isn't exactly broken. Uh, and defensively, where I think we need the most improvement, I believe in total defense, Alabama is 13th in the nation, uh, which is, in my opinion, too low based on what our talent level is. And I think the defense needs to improve, but they are 13th in the nation in total defense. It's not a bad defensive football team. It can arguably be better, but it's not broken or bad. I, I just think the changes will just focus on doing what we do better more often. And that's that. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's a part of me, you know, if I was the offensive coordinator and I've said this all season, I would be figuring out a way to get a couple of scripted touches to Jojo Earl. I just think that he, he would add a wrinkle that would just make defenses prepare for it. Understand that it's, it's a possibility. You don't have to, you know, at one point I thought doing it every single week uh, would be nice. Um, I, that, I, that would put a lot of pressure on, on the defense. I don't necessarily think that you have to do that. Uh, but just putting something on tape that shows JoJo Earl being a problem. And I'm not talking about against Mercer. I'm talking about against, you know, an SEC caliber defense, a good defense, or not necessarily even a good defense, but just, you know, best conference in college football. Um, everybody's going to be good to some degree. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's coming. I think they're starting to establish their pecking order at receiver. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about it. You got your top three guys who have been your top three guys and John Mechie, Jamison Williams, Slade Bolden um, and Slade Bolden. And then you also got Treshawn Holden who's coming on, you know, Jojo Earl, um, you know, probably wide receiver five, but then you got the tight ends who are going to be looking to get touches as well. So I just, I don't know how, where Jojo Earl sits as far as how often they could utilize him. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, I think he's going to be a huge breakout candidate in 2022, um, depending on what happens with John Mechie and or Jameson Williams. Uh, as long as those two guys leave and he has the opportunity to step up and be a full-time starter, I think he's going to take college football by storm uh, next year. Once he, you know, he's because he's still, he's a true freshman. He's still getting used to playing the, the position at this high of a level. He's still getting used to playing, you know, college football in general and the speed of the game. But, uh, you know, I do think that you might end up seeing a little bit more uh, John Mechie in the slot. Uh, that's another one that I would probably say just because, and like I said, I, I think, it, I don't necessarily think that it's getting, you know, putting him in the slot just to do it. I think when the matchups present themselves, getting him inside and having a perimeter receiver and three wide receiver sets that you can trust and Trayshawn Holden, that's where I think things are, are you're going to see a little bit and just having, giving John Mechie the versatility and, and allowing to move him around to exploit matchups. I think that's going to help Alabama's offense, and I think it's going to help John Mechie. He's a he's a difference maker now that he's healthy, and so I think Alabama needs to try to ride that. Outside of those two things and outside of just getting the tight ends back involved, which we'll talk a little bit more uh, later on this week when we talk LSU, but I think this is the week that you can do it. There have been a lot of tight ends who have exploited LSU's defense, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot. Um, the only two games where they haven't had a tight end at least make one very explosive play and, and have several guys who had just standout performances were against McNeese State, who, 
you know, when you look at it, they had like, I think 142 yards of total offense, less than hundred yards passing. And they, you know, so obviously they're not going to have a, a tight end, have a huge, you know, day. And then Mississippi state was the only other team that LSU didn't see a tight end have any sort of, you know, breakout performance or, or, or top tier performance. And, and Mississippi state doesn't even utilize a tight end. And that's why every other team has been able to have success against LSU's uh, defense when you have a tight end that can make plays. Now Alabama's got two of them, and Auburn has two of them that made plays against that LSU defense. So I would expect this to be a week where you get, um, you know, Jaleel Billingsley and Cameron Latou back involved in the offense. And with that, um, I think that will add another wrinkle, even though we've already seen it, just reestablishing that wrinkle and letting everybody know that it's still here, I think will be important. And I think it'll be important for both of those two players' confidence level moving forward. Um, next question on the list. Bama boy Troy on Twitter asked over the, the past several years, what has stopped us from putting together a defense like Georgia's? We recruited the same level, so it's hard to put it all on the players. We also have the greatest head coach of all time who is a defensive guy, so you can't put it all on the staff either. Curious what yourself and Jimmy attribute it to the most. Missed evaluations, coordinators, injuries, something else. Thanks as always. Uh you know, I think he answered his own question with with, uh, with his list at the end. I think it's all of those things. I think there have been some missed evaluations. Let's remember that even if a kid is a five-star or a high four-star, you make your own evaluation. The, the, the rankings are a guide, and there's a lot of work put into those rankings. And I'm a fan of rankings. I'm a fan, especially of how we're doing it at On3 now. Uh, I think it's, it's the best that's ever been done but it's never going to be perfect. Look, the NFL draft, look at the NFL draft. The NFL spends millions and millions and millions of dollars on scouting. They have entire departments with multi-million dollar budgets on scouting. They hire the best football scouts in the, on the planet earth. They get to go to all these great college games. They get big time college film. They hold all-star games. They hold combines. They hold pro days they still get it wrong half the time, okay? So what chance do colleges have of getting it right with far less of a budget, far less of the access, far less quality film? Uh, they don't get to go to these all-star games that exist. They don't, there is no national high school combine. Uh, so for all of those reasons, look, you're never gonna get it 100% right in the evaluation process. And Nick Saban's the all-time best that's ever done it. And he doesn't get it right 100% of the time. So I think a lot of it has been maybe just a bad two or three year spate of maybe the evaluations haven't been there. And I think in some, in terms of where the talent level is, I think Alabama and Georgia both believed they were recruiting future first round talent. And uh, Georgia, with this particular batch, got it right. And a lot of Alabama's first round picks end up being more like mid-round picks. They're not bad players. Just the defense isn't bad. But no, it's not Georgia. And that's because where Georgia has Jordan Davis and Adam Anderson and and, and Tyndall and Nicobe Dean, who's who really is the best defensive player on that team, uh, you know, those are all first-round picks. Alabama's first-round pick is Will Anderson. Uh, Christian Harris may go fairly high. Jordan Battle may go fairly high. Josh Job probably a second round pick now Jalen Armour Davis he's gonna be drafted I don't think he's a first round pick none 
of the defensive linemen at Alabama appear to be first-round picks, though I can tell you six or seven of them will play pro football. Byron Young's going to play pro football. A Boydby's going to play pro football. Phil Mathis is certainly going to play pro football. Tim Smith, LeBron Ray, these are all guys that will be in the NFL. Will they be drafted where Jordan Davis is? No. Will they be drafted uh, where, where Carter is? No. Uh, Nolan Smith? No. So I'll be the first to admit, uh, regardless of what the recruiting rankings say exactly, uh, Georgia has out-recruited Alabama on defense in the past three classes. Uh, and, and, and I think it's just apparent on the field. Uh, now, does that mean that Alabama evaluated horribly? No. Does that mean Alabama's defense is terrible? No. Uh, but, yeah, we don't have Georgia's talent level on defense, regardless of what the recruiting rankings say, because we, we all have eyeballs. We can see it on the field, and we see it in the numbers. Now, about the coordinator stuff, uh, I know a lot of people like to beat up Pete Golding on social media. Uh, I have myself at times had issues uh, because I think we should be better than we are. I'm the first to say that right now. We should be better than we are, and I think uh, it's fair to, uh, to look to Pete Golding to that. Uh, but I also think this, he's, he's held to a really high standard. Our defensive coordinators before Pete were Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart. I happen to believe that Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt are two of the great defensive coordinators, not in Alabama history, but in SEC history. I think Kirby and Jeremy are A-plus elite defensive coordinators, and it's not a shame that uh, Pete Golding maybe didn't quite live up to that standard. Pete didn't also have the talent that, that Jeremy and Kirby often had in my opinion, either. But uh, I do think that it's fair to uh, question whether Pete Golding is as good as Alabama can do at defensive coordinator. Uh, The lasting injuries, not so much affecting this year's team, but there are injuries, and it does. Christopher Allen's injury mattered. LeBron Ray never being 100% healthy, that's mattered. Uh, Some of the DBs have been banged up. As as we know, Job and Jalen Armour Davis missed a whole game earlier this season. Both of them did. Drew Sanders being absent has hurt the defense. So there have been injuries that have affected things, no question, although not as much as in recent years. But I think you add up all of those factors and then throw in maybe some unreasonable expectations built by our prior success. And I think that sort of explains the defense, or it's the best way that I can explain it. Think back to when Alabama had an an elite defense last, you know, 2016, 2017, right? Up front, they didn't have good players. They had great players. Jonathan Allen was an elite defensive playmaker. Tim Williams was an elite pass rusher. You know, you had two players who from, you know, on a consistent basis were demanding a ton of attention from opposing offenses. Then you had the complimentary guys, the the Ryan Andersons of the world, who was a a very good player. He was kind of your Christopher Allen type. You know, what Christopher Allen was supposed to be to Will Anderson uh, this year and it's to some degree, it's what Drew Sanders has become. But he's a guy who, you know, is a number two option when you're having so much attention be given to the another guy. He's fantastic. He can exploit the fact that he's getting, you know, you know, single blocks and and he's not commanding as much attention. But then in the, on that 2016 group, you had other guys. It wasn't just, you know, those players. You know, you had uh, Dalvin Tomlinson up front. You had Deron Payne. Um, who was a, you know a sophomore and starting to grow into his own. You started getting into 2017. You lose Jonathan Allen. Um, you know you lose Tim Williams, but Raquan Davis stepped up and became that guy. You know Deshaun Hand ended up uh, playing a part in that a little bit. 
you had rotational pieces, but you had, you know, Isaiah Bugs was pretty good. Deron Payne, when you got in the playoff against Clemson and against Georgia, you know, he was the guy that stepped up and, uh, and was a huge disruptive presence on Alabama's defensive line. Not only that, behind them, you had the Reuben Fosters of the world who, you know, and, and people look at that and they say, you know, we don't have that style of linebacker. We don't have that caliber of linebacker. And, and to it, they're, they're very correct in, in, the, in saying that. But it was also, not only did you have Reuben Foster roaming the fields and just being a heat-seeking missile, you had defensive guys up front who were commanding so much attention and doing their job of keeping the linebackers clean that you were allowing Reuben Foster to not have to shed block after block. He was running to the football a lot. And you just don't, this defensive line for Alabama is good. It's got a lot of good players. The only guy that's putting his hand in the dirt that you would consider just an elite guy is Will Anderson Jr., you know, the rest of them, they're just okay. And, and some nice complimentary pieces. But when you look back to those elite defenses, they had at least two defensive guys, two guys up front defensively who were absolute terrors. You know, you, you even look to, you know, when you get into 2018, Quentin Williams, that was his big year. Um, he was a very, very disruptive presence, but they didn't have the complimentary pieces, especially by the end of the season in the national championship game to be able to, you know, all Clemson did was just get Trevor Lawrence on the move completely took Quinn Williams out of the game plan. There was a lot of injuries at outside linebacker. Christian Miller ended up not playing and just Alabama couldn't take advantage. You know, um, if there would have been a Will Anderson Jr. Uh, lined up on the outside when Trevor Lawrence tried to escape, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the pocket, he would have gotten absolutely destroyed by Will Anderson Jr. or a Tim Williams or one of those other edge rushers, you know, even a Courtney Upshaw, who was not considered a premier pass rusher back in the day, but he was, you know, he, he got some sacks, but also, great edge setting presence. Um, I just think that right now, Alabama does not have enough of those guys. And whether you want to talk about misevaluation, whether you want to talk about a lack of development, you need guys up front defensively. You look at Georgia, Jordan Davis, absolute terror, Adam Anderson, absolute terror, but it's not just those guys. They've got plenty of players up front defensively who have turned into quality disruptive guys to you know complement those players um like you said just having the kobe dean as an off-ball linebacker being kind of that reuben foster as player you know trayvon walker has been very good um you know i just i think that up front defensively georgia's got that figured out but also i think to some degree kirby smart has georgia just playing football you know i think alabama maybe has gotten a little bit too complicated with what they're asking their defenders to do and i'm not saying that you can't do that I'm just saying that, you know, if, if they're not executing it like the like you believe that they need to, you need to dial it back to a point where they can and not just keep saying if we just, you know, they'll eventually get it and everything will click and we'll be solid. LSU was on the other extreme of that. They run way too basic, uh, you know, st stuff defensively. They don't confuse opposing offenses enough and give them looks that's going to create confusion. They just kind of line up how they're going to line up and that's how they play. And that's what you don't want. They're, they're playing too simple. But at the same time, there's there's a wide range between what Alabama's doing and what LSU's doing where you can find that sweet spot. And I just think that Georgia's done a little bit better of a job of finding that sweet spot. But they also got those huge difference makers up front that create the chaos that you need. And Will Anderson Jr. is certainly that guy. He is better than Jordan Davis, and he is better than than Adam Anderson. But he's the only guy that you really – Fidarian Mathis has been a nice complimentary guy. Drew Sanders has been a nice complimentary guy, but you need at least two of those dudes that are just considered game wreckers up front defensively. And if you look at Alabama, that you know historically, most times when they've had an elite defense, they've had the, at least two of those guys. Um, so that's kind of how I would put it. Uh, and you know, 
we'll kind of just have to see. Um, I, what I do think will happen this offseason, you can't make a lot of wholesale changes during the season. But looking at Georgia and understanding that in today's college football, they still haven't played an elite offense, by the way. So let's not act like, um, you know, that they're going to be able to do this against an Alabama caliber offense or, you know, an Ohio State caliber offense. But what it has proven is that against those teams, you can still have just a complete shutdown defense that doesn't allow anything. And then it's still going to be a very good defense, even against those elite offenses. The elite offenses, in my opinion, are still going to prevail when they go head to head. But, you know, you can you can have way more success than Alabama has been having defensively the last couple of years. And I think now that, you know, Georgia has been good defensively the last couple. But now that they're saying, you know, Georgia has a historically good defense, Nick Saban's going to analyze the, the, the mess out of that this offseason and say, what are they doing defensively to get to that point? And how do we need to go about getting there? And I, like I said, I think one of the main things is going to be we need to make sure that we've got multiple disruptive players up front. And we need to go identify those guys. Is that a, a, a Damon Payne? You know, I, I don't know. Um, it could be some of these other, you know, Jeremiah Alexander is going to be coming in. You know, Alabama is going to be deep at outside linebacker. So I don't know how much he'll get involved. But the, especially on the interior, if they had Will Anderson Jr. next year and they got one interior guy who was a Quentin Williams level player or a Jonathan Allen or a Deron Payne, um, you know, or even a Raquan Davis caliber player, I think that they would be a very, very good defensive unit, but they need to identify that guy, or if they don't have him currently, go get him or develop him. Uh, one of those three things. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, final question. One, one quick point that you, you just made to reiterate. A lot of people have been upset with the play of Christian Harris and Henry Toho Toho, but, you know, what do we say about them? They don't defeat blocks. They can't slip blocks. They're too easily blocked. We shouldn't be talking about how blocked they are because Ruben and Reggie Raglan and those inside linebackers that played behind those elite Alabama defensive lines, they weren't having to slip blocks. They, they were freed up. Christian Harris and Henry are often blocked because our defensive line didn't do a good enough job of keeping those big bodies off of them. So we're asking Henry and Christian to do things that Ruben and Reggie didn't have to deal with so often. So it, it gets back to that point you made about just not being dominant up front and Georgia is, and, uh, Maybe Georgia's got some scheme that that we don't use, but in, in my mind, it just it just all gets back to dudes. It does, um, and, and we've really run too long. Um, I, I knew that we were going to do that. We, we spend so long talking about monkeys and and pole assassins. Oh, anybody uh, wants. Yeah, uh, but what we will save this last question. It was a great question, and there's a reason I was saving it for last. It was it was going to be fun. But we'll save it. We'll do another one. Uh, we're going to be doing our college football reaction uh, tomorrow uh, to the college football playoff rankings, which are coming out tonight. And so when we do that, we'll throw in this question. We'll, I think Jimmy and I will have a lot of fun uh, kind of breaking it down and, and discussing it. But I'm trying to avoid getting in trouble again by, by Jake Evans, our producer. Um, so that's going to do it for today's episode. We'll be back tomorrow, and then we'll also be talking about LSU um, you know, on Thursday. So still got a lot of, you know, content coming for you guys this week. You know, if you haven't already go sign up for, for on three plus it's only $10 for the entire first year or excuse me, $1 for the entire first year. Right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's 10 or one or why anyone should care if it's 10 or one, because you're getting uh, a whole hell of a lot more than what you're paying for when you sign up. So sign up, uh, follow me, uh, uh, you know, QB underscore country, or, or at Clint R. Lamb, follow us, and, and, and we frequently post uh, links to the sign-up sheet 
or just ask us on Twitter. Hey, where can we sign up? Or just go to the Google button and Google uh, Bama on three and uh, and sign up for your one dollar or your ten dollars. But it gets you the whole year. Yeah. And what it is is ten dollars for the first year or you can get the first four months for a dollar. I knew that there was something going on there. Both are incredible deals. Um, and, and we're, you know, with where we're at right now, we're just getting this ball rolling. I mean, you're not even going to, people don't even fully understand where this place that, you know, BIM on three BCS, Alabama, you know, whatever you want to call it, where we're going to be at in, you know, six months from now, uh, I'm telling you, you want to jump on right now. Great content coming from Jimmy on the message boards. We got the recruiting stuff coming. Alabama's doing a great job recruiting, uh, you know, uh, Nate Oates, uh, on the basketball side of things. And then of course, Alabama and Nick Saban, uh, with football, you know, doing great things as well. So, like I said, that's going to do it for today's episode. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And this has been the Bama on three show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. <laughs>